So greetings on this blessed resurrection day. This day where we remember what Christ has done for us. And Marissa, I was just so thankful that you read that um, story of the women going to the tomb and he's risen, he's not here. This is what we remember. This is the good news, the historical good news of what Jesus did, what happened on this day, and it's amazing good news for the world. Last week, for those of you that weren't here, um, Pastor Dave, who's away today um, with his family in Canada, but last week he preached on the death of Jesus and um, what was accomplished on that cross as Jesus died that um, Jesus paid the legal penalty for our sins, and so by his blood we were cleansed. We're cleansed from our sins when we put our faith in Jesus. And the other thing that was accomplished on the cross as Jesus died, he made a spectacle and disarmed the powers and authorities. Do you remember that? We looked at Colossians. And so how that Jesus, in his death, he rescues us. From the kingdom of darkness. And so we celebrated Jesus' victory in the meal of communion. We called it the victory table, which it was, and it is. Today, I believe the Lord wants to restore and remind us the significance of Jesus' resurrection. And I want to just give a little spoiler alert Easter is not about peeps and candy and eggs, and a bunny, and it's not about spring clothes. While all that is fine and it's fun, this day is about so much more. It's about resurrection life and what Jesus accomplished in this moment where he rises from the dead. Jesus is Lord, and I just declare that over this gathering and over this message, Jesus is Lord. And he has a good word for us. No matter how we're coming in today, his word is alive and active. And so as we get ready to listen to this passage of scripture from Second Timothy, we're going to look at chapter 1, verses 6 to 14. I just want you to know, as I've been sitting here, I'm just impressed that the people that heard this letter from Paul were sitting in a variety of life circumstances where things were hard, were difficult, and there's good news in that space for them, and there's good news in this space for us today. And so 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 to 14, this is Paul writing to Timothy, And he says, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Maybe you learned it in the King James, power, love, and a sound mind, okay? Because how we think impacts how we act. So just to clear that up. So, verse 8, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. 
He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And if this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame, because I know whom I've believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I've entrusted to him until that day, which is the day of his return. What you heard from me keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. This is the word of the Lord. Well, have you ever forgotten the significance of a day? I um, have kind of an embarrassing little story to share with you. Um, I was thinking about next Friday, and it's a day, if you've looked ahead to the weather forecast, it's supposed to be 76 and sunny. Can I get a hallelujah? (laughs) It's an evening that Dane and I have free. It's an evening that my brother doesn't have plans. And so I said, hey, let's get together and have dinner together and celebrate some spring weather and some sibling love. Next Friday is April 14, and the significance of that day should have been etched in my mind um, and in my memory. But I've been kind of busy, and I've been just a little restless and looking forward to spring coming, and I've been a little bit um, longing to just spend some time with my brother. And then um, I wasn't thinking about what that day was about until I went to put it in my calendar. And just to be sure, it's not about paying my taxes. That's all set. You know, because April 14th and April 15th come and, you know. But anyway, it's not about the taxes. It's my son's 29th birthday. Ah! How could that be? I just felt so silly. Like, what in the world? What? But somehow, sometimes in life, you can just get on a roll and kind of forget about really important things and the significance of dates. Paul knew this for Timothy. Timothy had not just a little life going on. He didn't have just a little concern going on. Timothy was a young leader in the church in Ephesus. And um, it supposedly was the largest church, lots of house churches to oversee. And so he had a lot on his mind just as a leader. But then he also had a lot on his mind because the persecution of Christians was very intense. And so he not only was facing risk every day in what he did, but also he knew that he was trying to help keep the momentum of the church while they were facing persecution and pressures, terrible, terrible pressures. And so Paul writes this letter to Timothy from prison. It's the second letter that Paul wrote to him. It was the last letter 
And he's sitting there, Paul's sitting in prison, waiting to be executed for his faith. And he didn't want Timothy to miss the most important and significant thing about the gospel, the date that would mark the world history forever. So Paul starts this letter, grace, mercy, and peace. Then he talks about how that Timothy had genuine faith because it got handed down from his grandma and from his mom. And now Paul's convinced this genuine faith lives in Timothy. I just want to give a shout out for family discipleship groups, for parents, for aunties and uncles and grandparents. You just never know. You may be shaping the next Timothy, the next Priscilla. That genuine faith being handed down. That was a side note, but important. I just wanted to point it out. Paul quickly then talks, he's talking about genuine faith, and he turns his attention to what's important and pressing on his heart. Think about this. When you are giving your final words to somebody, and you know these are final words, what is important? He's going straight towards what's important, important, and it's all about the gospel. And the meaning of this message sometimes can be found when you look at the structure of a passage. In seminary, they taught us to look for what they call a chiastic structure, where is, um, so it starts with an idea, and then it has a similar idea at the beginning, and a similar idea at the ending, and what's in the middle. I've told you before, it's kind of like an Oreo, like the best stuff is the stuff in the middle. All right, so <clears throat> he writes this, and you can kind of see a chiastic structure in our scripture today. Verses 6 to 9, he references, you know, stir up the gift that's in you, and the Holy Spirit will give power and boldness for sharing the testimony of Jesus. And you kind of hear those same themes again in verses 11 to 14. He's talking about a gift, this time his calling as an apostle and a teacher. He's also talking about heralding the gospel, and he also references that you do this with the help of the Holy Spirit. So can you see how 6 to 9 and 11 to 14 kind of have similar themes? And what's at the center of this? What is he trying to really point out and emphasize? What is this gospel message that's to be shared with power and boldness and faith and love? And in verse 10, we see Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. What does Paul point to? The resurrection of Jesus and the effects of the resurrection. Resurrection day. The day that death is destroyed and life. That word in Greek, zoe, full, abundant, vital life, just as God has, had designed it always to be, becomes possible because of the victory of resurrection. Also, in addition to life now, a new life, we're new creations in Christ, but also an immortal life, an eternal life, a non-corruptible life, living forever. And so the structure could be summed up in this way. There's good news to share. Jesus' resurrection destroys death and full life now and for eternity. There's such good news to share. All right? Jesus' resurrection benefits all who believe. Now, this is important. You have to put your belief, your faith, 
in order to receive the benefits. But Jesus, his resurrection, the um, Heidelberg Catechism, question and answer 45 says, how does Christ's resurrection benefit us? A good question to ask. If we're believers in Christ, we should understand. What does this resurrection do for us? Well, first, the answer says, his resurrection, in his his resurrection, he's overcome death so that we might share in the righteousness that he obtained for us. All right, so we share in his righteousness. The second, by his power, we too are already raised to new life. And then third, Christ's resurrection is a sure pledge to us of our blessed resurrection. So just as sure as Jesus is not laying there on a slab of stone wrapped in linen anymore, he's raised up. That's just as sure that we too will be raised up. Our bodies will be raised up. So Jesus' death, last week we learned, cleansed us. His resurrection imparts and we share in his righteousness. All right, so we don't just have a neutral clean slate, but we actually get imp- imputed is the word, but his righteousness becomes ours. In his death, he rescued us from evil, and now we can walk free of the powers of the kingdom of darkness. We have a new, vital life of freedom. We're no longer slaves to sin. Jesus' resurrection also promises that our bodies will be resurrected. Let's just stop and think about this. I mean, it is something to meditate on and think about that we're no longer slaves to sin. When we're tempted, Jesus gives us a way out. We're overcomers in him. We're not victims. What Jesus' resurrection does for us is that he sees us through the blood. The Father sees us through the blood of Jesus. So whenever we feel accused or condemned and have those thoughts, it's not true. It's not true. And thank you for the testimony of overcoming lies. Because God sees us through the resurrection benefits of Jesus' resurrection and his life and his righteousness shame has no hold on us anymore we're raised as new creations a whole new life is waiting for us one where we can embody all the traits of christ his character his power his love jesus destroyed Other versions, translations say he defeated, he broke the power of, he abolished death. Death takes nothing from Christians. It simply graduates us to glory. Think about that. We have massive comfort when we're grieving the death of loved ones who knew Jesus. Have you ever been to a funeral where there's no hope? It is so sad, so still, like the tears, but with no hope. You go to a Christian funeral, and yes, of course, there's tears and there's grieving. But there's also laughter and reminiscing of stories. There's hope in the mix. We have so much because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have hope when we may face unexpected sickness, or as each of us Praise God, continue to grow older day by day. Um, We have nothing to fear and everything to gain. 
even in the face of persecution, there's hope because of the resurrection of Jesus. And so no wonder Paul had this on his mind as he's writing to Timothy. Everything else in the gospel of the kingdom rests on the finished work of Jesus' death and resurrection. And what he says is he says, Paul says to Timothy, guard, guard us, guard the gospel. So just to review, we've looked at the structure and how there's this good news to share, and it's all about the effects of the resurrection, death being destroyed, life now and eternity. We've looked at the benefits by looking at the Heidelberg Catechism, right? You remember the benefits? Sharing is righteousness, new life now, and assurance of resurrection of our bodies. And then Paul says, guard it, guard it, guard it. Three times in three verses, verses 12 to 14, I'm just going to read this. Um, He says, because I'm a herald, apostle, teacher, this is why I'm suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame because I know whom I've believed and am convinced that he's able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. What you've heard from me keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. So Jesus is to guard something and Timothy's to guard something. So Jesus, what does he guard? He guards Paul's life. He guards Paul's eternity. He guards Paul's reputation. He guards everybody that Paul loves, all those that he's mentored, all the churches that he's planted, his ministry. Jesus will guard all that. And then Paul says, I trust Jesus to guard my life and all these things because why? I know him. We will trust God to guard these things that we entrust to him when we know him. Knowing not just by intellect, but by relationship and experience. When we know Christ, we believe Jesus. We're convinced of his power and his authority to guard. And so we'll entrust our very selves into his care. And remember, this is not a blind faith. Remember All the witnesses that saw Jesus' death and the eyewitnesses that saw him in his resurrection. And so we know and place our faith in Jesus' resurrection. And so Paul trusts him. He trusts him with his very life. Even though he sits there waiting to be executed, this is not the end. He's saying, I'm going through. This is just a doorway to glory. All right, Timothy is to guard, and therefore we are to guard, the good deposit that's been entrusted into him and to us. And so what that good deposit is, is the gospel. And that word good means rich, pleasant, profitable, honorable deposit. He's made an honorable deposit in you, Marissa. Tony, an honorable deposit, a rich deposit, Kevin. When you know Jesus, there's been an honorable, rich, valuable deposit of the gospel in you and in you and each one of us who know the Lord. And we're to guard this teaching, which is the only way 
to life and eternal life made possible by Jesus' resurrection. The way to life brought to light is the way Paul said it. Paul tells Timothy to guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit. Now, why does he say guard this with the help of the Holy Spirit? Except for the fact that he trusts Jesus and now Jesus has sent his very spirit to live in us. And so because we can trust Jesus, of course, we can trust Jesus spirit, the Holy Spirit, because this is God also. Yes. And so we can co-labor with the Lord to to protect and guard this good news of the gospel. So the good news of life and immortality. Timothy, the circumstances haven't changed. Things are really hard out in the culture. Paul's sitting in prison. And we know that we have to, our flesh sometimes tries to convince us not to share the gospel because we feel like maybe we'll be ashamed or maybe we'll be rejected. There'll be pressures that come against demonic pressures that try to make us fearful to share the gospel. And so Paul's saying, guard the gospel, share the gospel. We have an enemy that tries to push us down. I was thinking about my um, tulip plants, that um, some of the bulbs are in the ground. And we remembered, or I remembered the other day, I said, oh, I think there were some right here that the pot's sitting on. And sure enough, we took that pot off, and here's these little plants trying to come up. They look so anemic and skinny, but they're, like, twisted around underneath And the minute we lifted that pot off, it was like we started to see him start to come up. That's the way the enemy tries to push us down, tries to get us to be quiet about the gospel. But Jesus will help us guard that gospel. Jesus will give us the strength. He'll help lift off, push back, whatever needs to happen so that we can guard the gospel. Paul says we guard it in some of these ways. We fan into flame the gift of God. That's in you. And so the gift of God is to be stirred up just like if you were tending a fire. That word actually means to keep going over and over again, poking at it like you were tending a fire. You know how if you let the embers start to go out, it starts to fizzle and starts to fade. But if you stir that fire, it keeps it burning bright. He says, fan the gift that's been given in you. And remember that timidity and fear is not from God. So if you're feeling timid, if you're feeling fearful, is that the Holy Spirit working upon you? No, no. And so we resist that. That's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives us power and love and a sound mind. There's no confusion, no illogical, absurd thoughts. Okay? So when we're trying to guard the gospel, we can tell what's working on us and what's working upon us because the Holy Spirit will give us power will give us love, the motivation, not out of duty, but because just like you were walking through Dearborn and all of a sudden, you know, the Lord just showed you, like, I have a path of life, like, and it's not earned, it's grace. And so um, you'll be motivated by love and you'll have a sound mind. We're saved and called to God's purposes and God's purposes are to guard this good news. If we understand what the end goal is of what God wants, we'll understand why he and how to guard something. Let me explain it this way. 
Last year, I brought in a bag last fall of 50 red tulip bulbs. Do you remember that? Yeah? Okay. So let's say I guarded them all winter. Well, it could mean that I set that bag on a shelf in my garage to keep it safe, and that could be guarding those bulbs. Or it could be that I planted them in pots and I put um, them in the right condition in the cold garage instead of like keeping them in my house, like they needed to be chilled in order to bloom. So that could be guarding, right? That could be guarding. Or it could be that I put mesh around them so the chipmunks don't try to dig out the bulbs and the deer don't try to eat them down when I set the pots out this spring. Actually, all those things could be part of guarding, but if I just left them on the shelf, that is not the purpose (laughs) they were intended. That is not why I bought those red tulip bulbs is to have little brown dried out looking balls in a bag. No, I want beautiful green plants that have bright red blossoms on them. That's my purpose. And so I need to not just put them in a safe place, plant them in the ground, protect them, guard them, but bring them out to the light and the water so they can get the rain and so that hopefully they'll multiply. And not just myself, but all my neighbors will be blessed because of this beauty. All right? Do you get the understanding, like, If we understand what the goal is, beautiful red tulips in the spring on either side of my front door and in my backyard, if you understand that goal, then you know that to guard it, I needed to do multiple things, not just one thing. Well, when Paul's telling Timothy to guard the gospel, all right, stay with me. Are you, I'm going to give you a little multiple choice. All right. So do you think when Paul tells Timothy to guard the gospel, do you think he meant to put Paul's letters in a safe place so they'd be preserved, that's A. Or B, protect the teaching so that no important part is removed or added, like the false teachers were trying to do, that was B. Or C, would guard the gospel mean that Timothy should continue to embody and proclaim the gospel? Do you think it's A, B, C, or all the above? Okay, some of you were with me. Maybe a test isn't the best, and the quiz isn't the best idea. But, you know, I just wanted to do something a little different to try to help you see that if we understand that God's goal, his end goal, is for people to be, his people to be renewed and reunited on a new earth that he's going to bring about when he comes back, then we understand that just protecting the letter that Paul wrote and putting it in a safe place is not the fullness of guarding. Intellectual sparring about what is and isn't in that the gospel, um, it's an important part, but it's not the fullness because there are many, many people that need to hear the good news of what happened with the resurrection of Jesus and having the possibility of new life. And so we need to, like, with my tulips, I needed to sow them, like plant them. I needed them to grow. And then I need to bring them out and, like, show and tell. Like, you know, let everybody see and tell about the goodness of God designing these beautiful flowers. Well, in the same way, we need to plant the gospel. 
We need to let the gospel grow up in our own lives and in see, help disciple others. And then we need to show and tell. We need to keep embodying and proclaiming the good news of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We guard the gospel even as he guards us. There are so many people looking for hope and longing for a different life, a better life, a meaningful life, for something beyond this short stint on earth. And the psalmist in Psalm 16, 9 to 11, he wrote about things that were long before Jesus, but this longing, you can hear it, and the hope, because he trusted God. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. How privileged we are to know Jesus and to have this hope. And if there's anybody here today that doesn't know Jesus and doesn't have this hope, you can have this hope today. You can place your trust in him and have the full effects of Jesus' death and resurrection in your own life. For us that have accepted this truth, the Lord, I believe, wants to just stir afresh again that he's, he's died and he's risen so that we can have life and have it to a full. And there may be some things that are acting like a pot sitting on top of bulbs that is trying to pressure you down and get in the way of your joy. The Lord wants to help you identify what that is. What is it that's interfering with the fullness of life that he rose in victory to give you his righteousness, his good ways, the fullness of life now and to eternity. What an honor that we've been given this good news to share with others. And I'd like to just close by praying for us all. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your resurrection. I thank you and praise you for your power. And Lord, I pray that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, we would recognize as believers in Jesus that that power is in us, your power in us. Lord, I pray for freedom. I pray for fullness of life. I pray for fullness of joy. Lord, I pray for healing. Lord, I pray for restoring of relationships. Lord, I thank you for the testimony that Mark shared about having some frustration with you that he didn't even he wasn't aware of and how you revealed that to him and how you helped lift that off so that he didn't feel like he had to control things or didn't have to be angry about outcomes but could trust you lord we heard a testimony of him trusting you with his life and lord i pray that each of us again afresh would just entrust you with our lives and believe that the best is yet 
to come. Because of your resurrection, we praise you and we thank you. And all God's people said, Amen.